Good morning, 1115 Glad Tidings. Yes. And I'll see you again next week this time. We are beginning a, a five-week series today, and uh, the message today is, When Death is Defeated, Everybody Wins. Yeah, next week's going to be good, too. When people get real, everybody wins. How many of you know that nobody likes phony baloney? Right? Listen, if you try to fake it, somebody's always told me, you know, fake it till you make it. How many of you know if you fake it, you'll never make it? Right? So next week, when, every, when everybody gets real, everybody wins. That's next week. Now, I know, you know, there's this thing out there where, where you know, among church people, they, they talk about Christmas and Easter and people who come to Christmas and Easter are called creasters. <laughs> now, I know none of you are creasters here this morning, right? I know you're going to be back next week and it's because you're hungry, right? Not because you're religious, because you're hungry, And if you're not hungry, my prayer is that sometime during this service today, you will taste and see that the Lord is so good. You're going to be like, you know what? I want to do this every week. I want to do this every Sunday and every Wednesday. So our our biggest prayer today is that uh, that you will have a revelation of the resurrected Jesus this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to first Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection of Jesus is actually a divisive issue today. And not just today, it's always been a divisive issue. When Jesus walked the earth, he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And like a sword, the death and resurrection of Jesus divides, it separates Christianity from all other religions. You know, if you look at um, Islam, for example, and Muslims, they believe that they believe in Jesus. Right. They do. They believe Jesus was a prophet. But according to the Quran, which was written in the seventh century, the Quran states that Jesus was not the son of God. He didn't die. He didn't raise from the dead. And there's a sect of Islam that believes that Jesus, he he ran off to India. So we don't believe that we believe the Bible. Christianity separates from all other religions. Christianity is the religion, if you will, that's that states that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he came to this earth, became a man. He died for our sins. He he was buried in the grave. He rose again on the third day. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he never dies after that. He lives forever. Revelation chapter one. Verse number 18, Jesus said this, I am alive. He said, I'm alive. Look at me. And I live forevermore. And I hold the keys, he said, to death, hell and the grave. That's Jesus. So that's what separates Christianity from other religions. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul, he dives into it deep. And he wants us to understand the significance of Jesus' death and his resurrection. So we're not reading um, a narrative portion from one of the Gospels this morning about the angel at the tomb. And those are wonderful, true stories. But we're going to dive a little deeper this morning and look at the significance of this event. 
Not the fact that it happened, which we all do understand it did. But but what does it mean to our everyday lives? So verse number one, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters of the good news or the gospel I preached to you before you welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news, which means gospel. Gospel means good news. It is this good news that saves you. I want you to say saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Verse three, Paul writes, I passed on to you what was most important and what had had also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the third day, just as the scripture said. Let me tell you something this morning. The gospel is simple. And it is simply this. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried and Christ was raised on the third day. That is the essence of the gospel. The Old Testament prophets, they prophesied it. We preach it today. You've received it and it will save you, Paul said, if you continue in it. It saves you. Not saved way back then. It saves you. This idea of salvation. Listen, I got saved Easter Sunday, 1986. But that was not a one-time event. My salvation story is progressive. God keeps saving me. I want you to understand this morning that salvation is a past experience. It's a present experience. And it's a future experience. When Paul said this gospel saves you, if you continue it, when he said it saves you, in in other words, you are being saved, more literal translation. So you might say this morning, well, I'm saved, Pastor Walt. You are being saved. God saved you from the penalty of sin. God saves you from the power of sin. And God will save you from the future presence of sin. Salvation. It's not a one-time experience. Salvation is for your past, your present today, and your future. And today, I want to help us all see right from this passage, 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see how the death and resurrection, the gospel, how it changes your past, your present, and your future. How many of you are glad that Jesus changed our past? But I want him to change my today. I want him to change my tomorrow. So let's look at this. The resurrection changes your past. I want you to notice in verse number five, as we read, I want you to notice who Jesus appears to after his resurrection. And I want you to notice specifically who he mentions by name that he appears to. Paul is writing this. Watch. Here we are. Verse five. He was seen. Jesus was seen by Peter, underlined Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Wow, that's a big crowd. That's like here this morning. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse 7. Then he was seen by James, one-on-one, underline that, and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born out of the wrong time or at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul is saying, I also saw him. He appeared to me one-on-one. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So here we have it. Jesus rises from the dead. 
And what does he do? He wants to prove that he's alive. He doesn't go to Pilate. He doesn't go to Herod. He doesn't go to the soldiers. He goes to his followers because they're discouraged. Some of you this morning, you need an appearance of Jesus in your life because you're discouraged. Life's dead all around you, discouraging all around you. Feel like God has left. Where's God? God wants to appear to you this morning and let you know he's alive. He's alive. And he has the power to change your past, your present and your future. And so here we have it. He appears to over 500 people. Amazing. But here, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes down three names. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. And he appeared to me, Paul. Now, why would God do that? Why would God have Paul write down those three names of who Jesus specifically, personally appeared to? Here's why. Because each one of these three men had a past. They had a past. They had a major falling out with God, if you will. A major failure with God. Let's start with Peter. We know Peter as the fisherman. Peter was the fisherman who left everything to follow Jesus. He left his nets. He left his father. He left the business. He left everything behind and he followed Jesus. And Jesus taught him how to pray. He taught him how to cast out devils. And Peter cast out devils. Peter walked on water. Peter was up on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. I mean, he had some incredible encounters with God. He made promises to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I'll never leave you. And Jesus said, no, actually, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, I'm not going to deny. you. In fact, I will die for you. And then we know that that the next day he was tested. He was tested and and Peter had a major fall, major fall. Some of you can relate to Peter today. You know, Peter, things were going great for Peter. And then some pressure happened in his life. You know, following Jesus was exciting. People were getting healed and and demons were getting cast out. I mean, you're walking on water and man that, you know, I mean, great experiences. You're seeing the glory of God, all these amazing things. And then all of a sudden his faith is put to the test. Things get difficult for him. In other words, his relationship with God began to cost him something. Following Jesus began to cost him something. It wasn't just coming great services and singing wonderful songs. I mean, it literally cost him something. And people are looking at him and they're going, we're about to kill Jesus. Are you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no, I don't, I don't even know the guy. And he cursed and he swore. I don't know the guy. I never met the guy. And then he looked and he saw Jesus. Last time he had eye contact with him. And he realized that he did, in fact, deny God. He denied Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter went away and he wept bitterly. That's the last encounter Peter had with Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. And here in this passage, we read that one of the first people that Jesus appeared to was Peter. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would he come to Peter? He knew that Peter had fallen bad. He knew that Peter, more than anybody in the world, needed to know that Jesus still loved him. Peter needed to know that Jesus died on the cross for his sin, for his denial three times. Peter needed to know it wasn't over. We're just getting started. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like you're like Peter and you you have you have walked with God and God has done some miracles through you. You've had incredible encounters with God and 
Maybe you've even made promises to God about how you'd give your life to him. And then and then your faith is tested and following Jesus really costs you something. And and the way you've lived your life now is you live your life denying God, denying what you had. Maybe you can identify with Peter this morning. And you're like, man, pastor, that's a long way back to what I used to have. I don't have that anymore. I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus wants to appear to you today. He wants to appear to you and he wants you to know he died for your sin. You're not too far gone, Peter. Peter, get back up, Peter. Get back up, Peter. I'm going to restore you. Get back up, Peter. I love you, Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. Jesus wants to appear before you this way. You've, you've backslid. You're a long ways from God. You were close. You may have been a preacher. You may have preached this message I'm preaching this morning, but you're far from God. Listen, listen, all the Peters in the room today, Jesus is going to appear to you one-on-one today, right now. And maybe he's even doing that right now. The next person we come to in this is James. He appeared to James, one-on-one to James. Who was James? James is the guy who wrote the book of James. James was a family. James was half-brother of Jesus. But the Bible says that James was slow to believe, slow to believe. In fact, all of Jesus's family was actually slow to believe. You would have thought, well, this is our son. He's the Messiah. No, they thought he was crazy. They pulled out the DSM manual, diagnostic statistic manual of mental disorders. And they said, Jesus is crazy. They said, he's not for real. He's crazy. He's lost it. And that was James. He was slow to believe. And yet here we read that James is one of the ones Jesus had a personal appearance to. Why do you think that? James, I'm real. You've been slow to believe. But listen, I'm real. This isn't a game. I'm not crazy. I can relate to James because I remember growing up. I went to church every Sunday. I had a drug problem growing up. My parents drugged me to church Sunday after Sunday. (laughs) Some of you had that kind of addiction as well. And so I would show up to church. I'd count the tiles in the ceiling. And when is this going to get over? My brother and I would get in the back of the van. And on our way home, we would make fun of the whole service. We did. We had, we had names for all the pastors and deacons. We had nicknames for them all. And now I'm a pastor. So now you have nicknames for me, see? And the, the pastor, his name was, uh, I don't remember his first name, but his last name was Keekstra. So we called him Captain Keekstra, like Captain Crunch. Captain Keekstra. I'm just a little kid. Muckus Mange, Farty Folsom. We had names for all of them. You know, and they're silly now. But we were, we were rebelling against God. Spiritual authority. I hated church. I hated God. He wasn't real to me. I was James. Slow to believe. And then one day when I'm 16 years old, I'm in a service like today. And Jesus revealed himself to me in such a personal way. I didn't walk away making fun of church anymore. I went away hungry. What's this all about? I got to have more of this. Third guy we come to is is uh, Paul. Paul says, finally, after he appeared to all these people, then he finally he appeared. Lastly, he appeared to me. And the NIV says this as to one who is abnormally born. That's a weird saying abnormally born. So I studied this out a little bit. What is Paul talking about? Some translations born out of due time, born out of the wrong time, abnormally born. What does this mean? The actual Greek there is, is the word, um, 
stillborn embryo or abortion. Paul is saying, I am like a stillborn child or I'm like an abortion. I shouldn't be alive today. I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't have Jesus appear to me. I should be dead in my sins, but Jesus appeared to me. I don't deserve to be called a, a child of God. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. I shouldn't have been born. And so he says, I was abnormally born. I was like a stillborn child that was born. I shouldn't be alive today spiritually. See, Paul, he was the guy who, he was religious. And uh, he was a fair, the Bible says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the Bible better than all of us. He thought he was a good guy, but he was deceived. And he tried to wipe away this Jesus movement and he tried to get rid of all the followers and he would torture them and put them in jail. And you know the story, right? It was Paul. He was the he was the one. He was the one that gave approval to Stephen's death, the first martyr of the church. He was the one that ordered the execution. And yet here we read Jesus appears to Paul. Jesus appears to Paul. Listen, you need to know this this morning. That Jesus wants to appear to those whose past seems unforgivable. You're here today and you're like, God could never forgive me. Nobody knows what I've done except me. I should be in jail right now or I should be dead right now. Like Paul said, I should be dead because of my sin. But you're here this morning and God is here and he wants to appear to you today. How many of you believe that Jesus wants to appear to those Whose past seems unforgivable. He went after Peter. Peter denied him. Jesus needed the support. Can't you tarry one hour? Not only could they not pray for Jesus. They abandoned him at his, at his height of his, uh, of his crucifixion. Peter is feeling like the scum of the earth. He is hiding. Feeling so full of guilt and shame. Right? But Jesus comes after Peter, Jesus comes after Paul, and he's coming after you today. He says, I don't care what you've done. The death and the resurrection of Jesus has the power to change your past. Has the power to erase every sin. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when you come to Jesus and Jesus comes to you and you have that meeting. And you say, I'm a sinner. And he says, I know. (laughs) But you don't have to stay that way. Okay, Lord, will you cleanse me? Absolutely. I love you. And he cleanses you. And what happens is he forgives you. But then he gives you a brand new identity. Identity is really important to God. Identity is what defines who you are. And everybody has an identity. And most people find their identity in something in the past. Listen to me. Think about yourself. Oh, I got my my uh, my master's degree or uh, I got my doctorate degree. Right. It's something maybe maybe your identity is in something you accomplished. I started my own business. Some of you are like, I graduated high school. (laughs) Awesome. That's incredible. Right. Some of you, your identity is is in something you've accomplished, something you're proud of. Others of you, your identity is something is in something you're ashamed of. It's something you've done that that you don't like to talk about. You're ashamed of of a decision that you've made. Something you've done to another person, 
something you've done against God. It's something you're very, very ashamed of. And that identifies you and you carry that identity wherever you go. Your identity is found in something you have done that you are not proud of. Others of you, your identity is found in what somebody else has done to you. Very terrible thing done to you. Should never have happened. Out of your control. And your identity is now shaped of that experience of what's been done to you. Could have been a parent. Could have been another person. Right? They molested you or took advantage of you. Abused you. They lied to you. They stole from you. Your identity is is wrapped around what somebody has done to you. But here's what Jesus does. He shows up to Peter. And he shows up to James and he shows up to Paul and he says, you know what? Not only do I want to forgive you, but I want to give you a brand new identity. I don't want your identity. This is what God says to you this morning. I don't want your identity to be in your past. I want your identity to be in my past. I want you to identify with my past, my death and my resurrection. That's what should identify us as believers. In fact, when God looks at who you are, he defines you based on what you do with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's true. So water baptism, let me tell you about water baptism. Oh, it's fun. We get splashy and we get wet and oh, this isn't this nice. Oh, it'd be good to do that. You know, I see people getting baptized. Listen, back in the day, the first church. Listen, if you said, hey, I just got saved. They'd say, oh, when did you get baptized? And we're like, what do you mean baptized? Look, read the book of Acts. As soon as they would repent, they were baptized. And Paul would come to believers in Ephesus. He said, when were you baptized? What baptism did you receive? See? Baptism was important because baptism is identification, right? It's not a ritual. You're saying, I identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He died for my sins and I died to my sin. And he raises me as a new person in Christ, a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Now, how many of you believe that's important? (laughs) Listen, water baptism doesn't save you. It's a symbol. That you are saved. This wedding ring does not cause me to be married to my wife. It is a symbol that I am married to her. There's a covenant that we are in. Water baptism symbolizes that identification, that covenant we have with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're saved here today, you better get baptized as soon as you can. Next Sunday, April 3rd. Baptism card, information center. Now, do you have to get baptized to be saved? The thief on the cross did not have an opportunity to get baptized. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. God forbid something happened to you between now and next Sunday. It is faith that saves you and faith alone that saves you. But Jesus and the apostles gave the command, repent and be baptized. In other words, identify your life in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not your past, but his past. I am so glad I'm a new person in Christ. When God sees me, he sees Jesus' past, not my past. Spent a lot of time here on this point. Must be a reason. Must be a lot of Peters and James and Pauls in the house today. 
The death and resurrection of Jesus has the power to change your past, but it also has the power to change your present reality right here, right now. In other words, the resurrection has the power to break the power of sin in your life. Not only break the penalty of sin, which is death, but to break the power of sin in your life. When Jesus died on the cross, it was his body that died. And when he died, his body went into the grave, but his living spirit went into to Hades. And there in Hades, he preached to the captives in Hades. And there in Hades, he took the keys back from the enemy, took the keys of death, hell and the grave. Listen, Jesus has the keys this morning. That's why, that's why he can't keep you in that prison of addiction or that prison of guilt and shame because Jesus has the keys and he breaks the power of sin over your life. So if you're a believer in Jesus this morning and the spirit of God lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, will will the body, the Bible says, will give life to your mortal body. So don't come telling me, well, I just can't help it. Listen, you have power. The power of sin has been broken. Every listen, that addiction can't control you. That addiction can't push you around. That temptation is no longer the bully it used to be. It's lost its power. And you now have authority in Jesus name. You tell that temptation, you go back to hell where you came from. That's what you tell that temptation. You tell that demon that's bothering you, you go back where you came from. Jesus, he holds the keys. Listen, the devil is so defeated this morning. He doesn't even have keys to his own house. Some of you, you have not walked in the freedom that Jesus purchased for you through his death and his resurrection. There is power, power, wonder-working power. And it is available to you. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Some of you have given up and said, you know what, I'm just, this is just going to be my thing. I'm just going to have to get saved every week because I can't break this addiction. You don't need to get saved every week. You don't need a bath. You just need your feet washed. If you didn't get that, listen to a week's message a couple weeks ago. Don't have time. Power of sin has been broken over your life. You can live free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Paul said it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't allow yourselves again to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Listen, you don't, you're not a slave anymore to, to, to what used to rule you. There's been a, an exchange, redemption. We heard about it last week. You are now a slave to God, a servant to God. He is your new master. Praise God. And I tell you this morning, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is not the fact that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. The greatest proof of the resurrection is how those 500 people lived after he went into heaven. It's how they live. They were scared before the resurrection. Jesus died. They scattered. They were scared. They were in hiding. But after the resurrection and after he appeared to them, something happened. The spirit of God entered them. They became bold. They became bold. The greatest proof of the resurrection today is those who have lived and those who have died for Jesus. Listen, is your life, is your life the greatest proof? Of the resurrection. 
Is your changed life the greatest proof? Do people see resurrection power when they see your life? Do they realize, man, this guy was once bound, but now he's free. Do they see that, sir? Do they see that, ma'am? Listen, you don't have to take them chapter and verse. You don't have to give all the convincing proofs that he is alive. You're the convincing proof that he's alive. Your changed life, your power over sin is convincing proof that Jesus Christ is alive today. And if you don't have that power in your life, I've got good news for you. You're in the right place and Jesus wants to appear to you and deliver you from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the future presence of sin. And that brings me to the third point. The third reason or the third thing we're talking about here is how the death and resurrection has the power to change your future, to change your future. I want you to look with me in verse number 12, I believe it is. And we're going to read that here in just a moment. See, the church, and maybe I'll abbreviate it today, the church in Corinth, um, they believed that Jesus rose from the grave. That wasn't the issue. But they didn't believe in their own personal resurrection. They didn't believe in a personal bodily resurrection for all believers. And what happened was, is they lived in a culture like we do, and their culture was a Greek culture, and the Greeks didn't believe that there was life after death. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They, they believed that once you die, it's all over, you know. So you better just live it up now. <laughs> and Paul even addressed that. He says, you know, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then there's no resurrection for you either. And if there's no resurrection for you, you're still dead in your sins. And he said, if there's no resurrection, then why do we suffer every day? Why do we suffer every week? Why do we fight beasts in Ephesus? He said, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, then let's just eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we shall die. That's what he said. And he was quoting the Greeks. He said, in other words, let's just live like the devil while we're on earth because there's no heaven. Right? Why are you suffering? Why are you putting your life on the line every day? Why are you being, why are you being bold at work and getting ridiculed for following Jesus? You know, why do you hold on to a hope? What hope do you hold on to? The hope is this, because Jesus rose from the dead. One day I'll have my own personal resurrection from the dead. Though I will die like Jesus died in the grave, just like he rose, we rise. And when he rose from the dead, he was risen with a resurrected body. It was an eternal body that will never die. And church, one day we're going to resurrect with an eternal body that will never die as well. And that is, and that is our future hope. That is our future hope. And I won't take time to read through the scriptures this morning, but read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you'll see it all right there. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has done for us through his death and through his resurrection. Finally, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has the power to change your past, your present and your future. But that will only happen if here's the big if you need to hear this. It will only happen if the spirit of God is living in you. I want you to see this verse with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11. And here it is. Watch the if. And if the spirit of him, Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives because of his spirit who lives in you. 
So the only way that we can have this resurrected life one day, this eternal life someday, is if the Spirit of God lives within us. And if the Spirit of God lives within us like the Spirit lived within Jesus, the same Spirit that lived in Jesus that raised Him from the dead will one day raise us from the dead as well. So here's the big question. How does the Spirit of God come to live within us? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. Let's look at that. The New Living Translation. Here's the if again. If you openly declare... Some translations, if you confess with your mouth, if you openly declare that Jesus is what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith Like water baptism, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, if you believe this this morning, if you believe Romans 10, 9 and 10, then you believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. But can I tell you this morning, believing the gospel is not the same as receiving the gospel. You can believe something, but not receive something. You can believe, if you're a guest this morning, that we have a gift for you at our welcome center. And we do. We don't lie about that. We really have a gift for you. You can believe we have a gift for you, but unless you get up out of your seat after service and you go to the welcome and openly declare, I'm a guest. If you don't do that, you'll never receive that gift. In the same way this morning, you can understand that that God has a gift for you this morning, and it's called salvation. But unless you get up out of your seat at the end of the service and you come to this altar and you openly declare, I am a sinner in need of grace and needing salvation, you'll never receive that gift. You can believe it's for you. You can believe it's for somebody else. You can believe all you want. And the Bible says even the demons believe that and they shudder. So it's not just believing, it's receiving. And to all who received him... And believed on his name, the Bible says, he gave the right to become children of God. God wants you to become his children. He wants to change your identity this morning. But you can't just walk away and go, you know, I believe that. I believe what pastor said today. You have to receive it. How do you receive it? You have to humble yourself. You have to go to to the welcome center and humble yourself and say, I'm a guest. You have to humble yourself and come to the, the altar this morning. I'm a sinner. You see? And you know what I've found is that um, it, it sometimes it's difficult for us to receive gifts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no, I don't deserve that. No, that must be for somebody else. You know? See, pride gets in the way of us receiving gifts. Don't let pride get in the way of you receiving the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation this morning. If you will humbly, if you will humbly confess, I am a sinner. And if you will believe that Jesus died for your sin and he rose from the grave. And if you will publicly declare, I'm going to identify with that this morning, you will be saved. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to to stand right where you're at. If that's you, I'm going to invite you here in a few moments. I want you to understand something. I'm not here to point out anybody, embarrass anybody. I'm here to give you the greatest opportunity of your lifetime. Don't let pride stand in your way. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone is ashamed before me or ashamed of me before men, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of that person before God in heaven. 
Don't be ashamed. Paul said this. I am not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm the Peter. I knew him, but I've run a long ways from him and I've been hiding. I'm ready to come back to God today. Or maybe you're James. You're slow to believe. Or maybe you're Paul. You're like, I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus or his followers. And I'm here today and I've had an appearance. Jesus has appeared to my heart today and I know he's the savior. I know he died for my sin. I know he rose from the grave. And I want to identify with Jesus today. If that's you today, I'm going to have you stand on the count of three. Anyone who needs to get right with God, stand with me in the count of three. One, two, three. Stand right where you're at. Stand right where you're at. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to take a bold step and just join me right down here. I want to pray with you right here. Just step out right from where you're at, right from where you're at. You're saying, you know, I'm going to boldly declare. I'm going to boldly declare. This is a, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, I will still follow Listen, I'm proud of you for doing this this morning, coming up. It's not about me. It's not about anybody in this room. It's, it's you and Jesus this morning. God's doing something in your heart. I want to encourage you. Don't ever let the fear of man motivate what you do. Don't ever let the fear of man motivate you. When Jesus appeared to those 500, listen, nothing could hold them back. Jesus has appeared to you in a way this morning. He's revealed himself to you. God is going to now put his spirit within you. We're going to pray here and God's going to put his spirit right inside of you. Guaranteeing your eternal heaven. Sealing that relationship that you have with him. I want you to bow your heads with me. And if you're up front, I want you to just pray this simple prayer. Pray it with your mouth loud enough where your own ears can hear it this morning. Pray this with me. I openly declare. Jesus died for my sin. He rose from the grave and Jesus is Lord. I openly declare I am a sinner in need of grace, in need of forgiveness. And I receive it now by faith, complete forgiveness of my past, present and future sin. I receive it now in Jesus name. Jesus be Lord, be Savior of my life. I receive you now. side of me. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the new identity, God, that you have given to us. 
Thank you that the old has passed away. The old has died. The new has come. We are new creations in you. Thank you, God, that we can identify with your past and no longer our past. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In a moment, we're going to dismiss the service. And those of you who are up front, I'm going to invite you to stay up front for just a few minutes. We have some prayer workers that um, are going to come and they've got a little booklet they want to give you. They've got a baptism card if you're interested in taking that next bold proclamation step and getting water baptized you can fill that card out we just we just want to help you grow we want to help you grow we're we're so proud listen i am so glad in 1986 i'm so glad my pastor gave me an invitation to come and do exactly what you've done today this is the beginning of your salvation right god saves us right from our past he saves us every day he's going to save us in the future every day you get to experience God's fresh salvation. Prayer workers, please, if you would come, if everybody would stand to their feet this morning, can we just put our hands together for what God is doing here today? Lord, thank you. Thank you. And I just want to let those of you know who came forward, listen, man, uh, you're part of a family here. (laughs) You're not alone. And uh, we want to help you. And uh, everybody here today has probably at some point come down and made the decision that you've made today. Listen, Jesus is just getting started in your life. He's just getting started in your life. Prayer workers are coming to help you. God bless you this morning. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Amen.